Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I welcome back uh, returning guest photographer Chris Buck. Uh, Chris has a new book out uh, titled Gentlemen's Club, Partners of Exotic Dancers. A really amazing book where he photographed the partners of exotic dancers, like in the title. Um, This kind of interviewed different people, uh, went and photographed all over the country, um, really interesting photo project he's been working on for years. Um, so I was really excited to talk to him about that process of putting the book together and working on the project. And I also talked to Chris about um, he just partnered with a new rep. Uh, so I kind of had a conversation with him about um, that kind of process of finding a new rep and his experience working with reps in the past and much, much more. Um, Chris is an amazing photographer, really interesting guy. It's always a pleasure talking to him. He has this kind of a unique perspective, like his approach to photography. Um, always been a big fan, so I was excited to have him back on. Um, so hope you guys enjoy, and thanks so much for listening. Sounds like this is why. There you go. This yeah, you is sound, why I have the mic. You know. You sound good, man. Okay, good. Is that uh? Wait, is that like that garage that was in your backyard last time I came out there? It looks like that was your garage. You kind of turned it into your studio. So, yes, it's a it's part. It's a garage. Nice. Um, it's I, I must have you must have come out here soon after we moved because it was almost I, like two. It was like two and a half years ago. Yeah. So we moved like three and a half years ago. Okay. So I must have been working on it then. I don't know. Did, did I talk about it at all? Yeah, we talked about it a little bit. Yeah, because I don't think you were, you didn't have like your workspace in there. I, I no, because we point. did the interview in the um the living room. We did, yeah, the dining room. Anyways, well, good to see you again, Chris. Man, obviously been a crazy last year and a half, two years. But how you hanging in there, man? You know, just uh, just looking to survive. That's that's the goal. Is to looking to be uh, still here. That's yeah, man. Really, you know, looking for a better day. I, I caught I caught you on Clubhouse when that thing first popped off last uh was like January or February or something. You're sure. on there a little bit. Are yeah. you still have you still been dabbling in the Clubhouse? I have not been. You know, it once things sort of opened up just a little, yeah. Clubhouse fell off real fast. Yeah. I think that it unfortunately for them, they they started at a good time when those people, you know, people were had nothing to do and they're stuck in their homes. Yeah. But then once things opened up. It went from being super hot to just like a ghost town. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of your experience. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of burned out on it because it was like there's some cool conversation on on there for sure. Um, But then there was like a lot of like like guru types, like trying to sell like Mm -hmm. workshops, specifically in the photo space and like other advice type stuff. So there's only so much of that I could take. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. There's a lot of good conversations, but there was an element of after a while, I felt like people were just selling you something or themselves. Yeah. And that's, that's most of what it was. Yeah. Um, you, you can read through the bullshit pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, you know, I did meet some fun people on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting when I go there now, it's still the same people from the early days. Yeah. Where I saw they're like, you know, cause I joined in, I guess, December. Yeah. So I'm seeing those people, but the people who joined later, I don't really see, which is sort of odd. But yeah, I guess whatever. I mean, I I'd be curious to see if it has a chance to re- be reborn from scratch again, which yeah. I think would be interesting. Like, if they this, this is a good challenge for them to see, can they find some place of meaning in the in the culture? You know. 
or Facebook will just eat it up and uh, copy it and just make their own version, like what they do on on most platforms, pretty much. I guess so, but Facebook isn't really a thing either anymore either. Like I post stuff on there and there's no response. Yeah, like even almost none. Well, even I was just reading like Instagram now. It's basically they said it's not even like a picture app anymore. They basically want you just to make like their video, like the reels. Yeah, but that's, it, that's only because of TikTok. Yeah, so they switched it because even now I went on it yesterday and it updated. And where I used to go post now, now it's not there. Now it's like the center button is for the video instead yeah. of putting a picture. But I don't know. But that, but that existed for stories for a while, too, where they're pushing stories Yeah, because they're trying to compete with Snapchat. Yeah. And then and then stories fell off and no one cared about stories anymore. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that I think you just do what suits you and it's good to be aware of what's going on, but you can't really like yeah. worry about it. I mean, you're doing a podcast and yeah. podcast peaked a year ago. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, I just I just enjoy talking to people. Like I not this I don't this thing is like I'm not trying to make money off it or anything. It's really just it's just cool to like talk to other photographers to be honest. It's sure. uh, yeah, like I don't know. I mean, where are you at with like I didn't expect to talk to you about social media, but like yeah. w- how do you view social media? Is this something you like like take seriously with your like business? Absolutely. I guess? 100%. Yeah. You know, I at some point, be I got a new agent about, I don't know, five months ago. I, I made a list of like all the different points of promotion. Mm-hmm. And if anything, my my big takeaway from making this list was I need to focus more on the other ones and less on social media. Like there's a way in which Instagram wants me to make it my whole life. Like mm-hmm. it wants, I just a sense of like, it's all on Instagram or whatever. Yeah. But the fact is, is that, being on Instagram is a good place to be, but it's not like it really leads to work. Like yeah. I, I'm more likely to get work if I reach out to folks and like, you know, mention new work or try to do a meeting. Like that's more likely to lead to work than yep. like posting pictures that get a lot of attention because most of my audience, well, I don't know. Cause I guess, cause everyone does that, but also most of my audience is, is like people who love photography. It's not really my clients. Yeah. Yeah it, yeah, it is interesting. I started, well, for, for me, like the way I always got work in the past before the pandemic was like, you know, hustling, going to New York or meeting with agencies in Boston and like get in front of people. And now it's harder to do that because it's because people are in offices. So last year I started using LinkedIn a lot more. I'd never yeah. really used it before. I kind of just like brushed it off. And that's actually like I got in a few jobs in the last couple of months is from like reaching out to people, post my work up there. Because I, what I realized, all the people that work at magazines or at agencies, they're all looking for their next job. So they're like, sure, like, because you see the analytics on the the views and who's looking at it, who's commenting on it, like in LinkedIn, like, yeah, I took that for granted. And it's been kind of a positive thing for me the last year. Yeah. Yeah, I do have my, I have my Instagram because I'm most active on Instagram. Yeah. And I, and I kind of monitor that most closely and really curate it. So I linked, I linked my LinkedIn to my Instagram. So now... Yeah. My li- every every post on Instagram should go should go live on link the LinkedIn feed. Yeah, um, well, I anyways, did turn off the thing where the, the you know the whole uh, you know your work anniversaries. I turned that off because that's yeah, so fucking that. bullshit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you get the you get the programmed happy birthday. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. But anyways, Chris, I was excited to talk to you. You got this new book out. Uh, gentlemen's club partners of exotic dancers and i know when i last interviewed you you were this kind of 
I think you were kind of just had started this project at that time. You had only photographed a couple of people because I think at the time no, no, I was well into it. I was well into uh, it. Yeah, because when we it was like two and a half years ago. Yeah, but we but it took me six years to oh, is that to yeah. shoot? Yeah. All right, I didn't realize it was six years. Yeah, because I remember uh, talking to you then. It was just hard to find people. Um, it, was, it still to, was hard. Yes, it, all whole way through it was hard. Hard. That was yeah. why it took six years. It really should have taken like three. <laughs> yeah yeah because you went all over the place you went to like down south out west yeah. up, up to canada um i guess like what was kind of the the idea behind this book and what kind of inspired you to kind of work on this project you know it's what the origin of it really comes from you know as a shooter that you you always are kind of doing projects to kind of enhance your brand and, and just have something to talk about in a sense. Mm -hmm. And I'd always done these projects with, with that filter of like, you know, um, is this going to appeal to my client base? It is this align with my brand. Um, is this maybe going to offend some people and maybe I should just skip that idea. Yeah. And so I'd always, you know, for the last 15, 16 years, I always had a project or two in the go that I was developing the Chris box project, the lookalikes, um, I did that um, figurine, a 3D figurine of me called yep. Likeness. And at some point, I guess after I published my first book, which didn't really lead to any work, I was kind of like angry about that. Yeah. And I was like, well, fuck all you. Like, I'm going to do <laughs> a personal project that I don't care if it offends anyone. Um, maybe, maybe you want to do a project that like, is is maybe going to be like the antithesis of what my clients want to see. Yeah. You know, my most of my clients are young women. Do they really want to see like strippers boyfriends like gross, you know? And so I think that once I kind of got that idea in my head, I was like I'm going to lean hard into this because this is truly a personal project. And I, and frankly, I realized that like by putting that filter on of like, you know, will this lead to work and is this appropriate for clients? By removing that filter, a whole ton of ideas came through that yeah. obviously were being kind of stopped by me unconsciously, really, like saying, no, that I can't do that. But now that I'm a little older and I'm more established, and frankly, in a way, like as you get older, you kind of don't give a shit as much. Like yeah. I want the work, yeah. but I want to be me too. And that's just as valuable. And also too, the success I do have largely came from leaning into what is me yeah. and what's different about me and so why not like double down on that yeah definitely because like uh it, the way jobs are awarded is like so random and it, it's very hard like can you pinpoint a project you did like that you thought thought out beforehand where you're like this is going to get me work and now i'm going to send it out can you pinpoint any project that actually worked in your mind like that? Cause like I, I personally can't, cause I used to know. Yeah. It doesn't work. But this is why you do multiple streams yeah. of promotion too, right? Direct mailers, yeah. obviously website, social media, in-person meetings, you know, maybe working with an agent who does, you know, their own promotion. I, I think that you, like when I was talking to my agent, my new one, she said, uh, you, a client needs to see you in five different places before they'll hire you. I'm like five. Like I only have like six. Like, <laughs> yeah, man, it's tough. And like when you first started this project, like uh, I guess what was your goal with the portraits and kind of did the approach change over from the beginning to the end? And like, cause I know you did interviews and I guess how did the process kind of work in terms of photographing all these people? 
Well, initially the plan was to do maybe um, like a hundred and have like full page port a full page single portrait of each partner or couple, and then like a kind of pull quote across the page from it. Yeah. And I got about maybe a year and a half in, and I'd only had like four meetups, and I was like, oh, I'm you know, I'm never going to get to hundred. Yeah. I mean, I'll be lucky to get to like thirty, and. I thought, okay, I need to, so I realized, so one thing I did do from the beginning, thank God, was to record the interviews. So the first person I met with, with Pano, um, who's kind of near the beginning of the book, he's in Toronto. Uh, actually, he lived really close to where I grew up. So I met with him at his apartment complex and we did the photographs. And then I interviewed him for like, maybe for 35 minutes or so. But he was great. Like, and also even before I started recording the interview, he was telling me crazy stories of club life because he worked at a club mm-hmm. uh you know the different kinds of dancers and how they spent their money and how they lived their lives and i was like oh my god like this is all gold and so i kind of realized at that year and a half mark that i need to one show more than one image of each person because with one the book is going to be like a brochure it'll be so tiny you know because i'm going you know who knows how many i'm even gonna get yeah. But then also, too, I realized I could fill it out with the interviews and the interviews were so good. They're kind of driving me towards that anyways. And so rather than having just a pull quote, I thought, you know, I can have full proper Q&A's with each interview. Now, in the end, because the interviews got much better as I, I, I kind of did it longer and got better at it. Uh, and I learned more about that world. The interviews kind of like I did the book largely chronologically. So the interviews kind of get longer as you get further into the book. Hmm. So. The, um, so some of the interviews are quite short, the ones, even the one of Pano, which was really like exciting. And cause it was the first one, I really narrowed it down to one page and had one portrait of him. But, um, but some of them are like, you know, I don't know, six pages long with, you know, three, three or four pages of interview. And it, I think it works really well. Like it's, um, it got really rich and deep as I got further in and, um, you know, I think it was a really nice balance to the book. And, you know, certainly I didn't, you know, I've done plenty of interviews over the years, mostly with other photographers, but, um, but uh, it was something I knew I could do and it was my project. So it made sense, you know, cause it gives in a way too, like if you read them, you really hear my voice, you know, like, you know, the, the questions I ask, the responses I give to things they say um, really shows my viewpoint on that whole world. And so uh, I think it's kind of fun. Like if you, you know, if you do the d- deep dive into it, you know, I become a character in the book as well. Yeah, definitely. And like, I mean, you really got people to open up a lot. Like one of the interviews, the guy Aaron from Portland, Oregon, um, it, it, he really kind of opened up about all types of stuff, like drug use and this, obviously his relationship with um, the woman he was dating. Like, I, I, was it hard to get people to open up? And like, how, how did you kind of I know because a couple of the guys I know you interviewed, like one of the guys, I think he used to, he, you called him more of like a sugar daddy and he, he was harder to interview, really didn't give you much. Like, sure. Uh, like, how do you approach like getting people to open up and talk about, you know, the hardest things in their life, be it drug use or these tough relationships and like having kids in these difficult situations? Because it is a tough thing to, you know, get strangers to open up about like difficult topics like that. I think that for a lot of the people, once they were, once they agree to be part of the project, then they were ready to talk. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's funny because people often express like, 
surprise and, and, and pleasure that like, there's such a wide spectrum of people in the book and such varied stories, which obviously is great. And that's, you know, it's almost something I learned as a photographer, like if you're gonna do a big series, you can't have all people who look the same. You need to have variety. You know, you need to shoot different parts of the country, different kinds of couples, different kinds of people from different backgrounds, different, you know, narrative stories. And so um, I was really drawn to that. But the fact is, is it, it's a largely self-selecting group. Like, you know, if you were, there's not a lot of people in the book who have real problems with what their partner does. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you did, you wouldn't be in my project. Although, I mean, there's obviously a few who are, or at least have mixed feelings, which is, you know, what kind of drives the narrative forward. But but it was in a way kind of hard to find that. Um, I think a lot of these partners really hadn't had a chance to talk about this stuff before. So me just sitting down and putting like a microphone in front of them we were off to the races. Like they're just, they're ready to talk. I think in cases like Brian, you're referring to from the Bronx, I think that he was a kind of misleading me a bit as to what his relationship was with the dancers. So, so hence, like when he was with me kind of um, just sort of, you know, off mic, he was very relaxed and kind of like would brag about his, you know, how he'd done pornography and this and that. But then once we were, when the microphone was on, it was on the record, he kind of kind of shut his mouth. So I think that he kind of was BSing me a little bit. Um, but I also too, like I realized that I need to work on my interviewing skills and that doing the project really forced me to like get better at that stuff that I was kind of used to either being in an area where I was very knowledgeable, like interviewing other photographers or with these partners who you know, we're looking for someone to talk to anyways. And so I was a good fit. So these people who were kind of less like, like I interviewed a Muslim guy who I kind of think did it because I was paying a small fee, like a model's fee. I think that's why he agreed to it. Once I did the interview, he was kind of very controlled and kind of hesitant about what he was saying. So I think that those experiences that were happening early on really taught me, like I need to come up with more questions uh, it's it's like you like in photography like you learn you do some shoots that go well and you're like this is great this is easy and then you do some with reluctant subjects and you realize you know what I need a whole bag of tricks mm-hmm. to like to save me in these situations where people will do nothing so let's say make it all about the lighting or the background like you know how or how can I coax a little something out of someone who doesn't really want to be there like these are things you learn as a shooter and I did the same thing with the interviews how can I ask a question about a relationship you know, to ask, like, are you really okay with your partner, like giving lap dances? It's a very direct way of asking a question. Maybe if I ask, hey, what would you guys do for your last date night? It's, it's, it's going at the same question less directly because they can say, you know what? We don't go on dates much because they're always working. You know, their, their attention is always at the customers and making money and not at me. Then they're like, all right, well, there you go. There's my answer, you know? So I think that, you know, you, you learn ways to ask questions that are less provocative and, uh, and let people answer the way they want. Yeah. You seem like someone, like I've always respected your work. Like you kind of, maybe I'm wrong. You kind of embrace like the uncomfortable moments may be on a shoot or something like, do you, do you, cause I mean, as a portrait photographer, 
I mean, I dealt with this last week. I did a shoot and I was like photographing some doctor. And you can tell he was like visibly this like nervous, uncomfortable. And it was just like there's like this energy because it was just me, him. I didn't even have an assistant on the shoot. So it's just us two in this room. And I have to like find a way to like navigate this. Like, how do you approach those like that uncomfortable energy that sometimes this happens on a shoot? Because it's just, you know, it's human beings and some people are uncomfortable and, and it's there and you can feel it in the air. Absolutely. I think that. Like, I don't like the discomfort as much as anyone, mm -hmm. but I, as you say, I, I, I will harness it for the pictures, mm -hmm. but it depends on what the job is, right? Like if it's a portrait shoot for a magazine and they want that, then that's great. Like when I photographed President Obama and I was prepping it with my editor and he said, uh, you, know, you know, I was shooting like a sitting president. So it's like, I was only going to have, you know, like just a few minutes and it was really going to be about the lighting because he, you know, Obama was famous for being very controlling. And the, um, but my editor said, if you see a crisp up moment in there, definitely get it. <laughs> and, you know, that was, I liked hearing that, but also it made me nervous because it put expectations on. And I do think the shot I got of the president is that. It's that kind of like, I got that little like in between weird kind of, kind of super present but kind of uncomfortable moment with the president that really like hit that mark of like you know people who know me look at that and they're like that's a chris buck picture like that's not just a picture of obama it is but it's also you can see like weirdly it's like chris buck shooting through his eyes you know yeah. and i think you know that the client clients when clients signal that i'll do it um but you know one of the things i often think about is i only need one frame that's great like, and obviously I always try to get many, many more, but in a way, one of the things with the photography that's nice is in the end, if you get those one or two frames that kill it, then your clients can be happy and you've got it. And people don't know like that, you know, three quarters of the time it was all misses and awkward and whatever. Hmm. Yeah. Cause even like at this point in your career or like work on this project, were there any shoots you did like where you walked away and you were just like you just didn't like it or like does that ever happen to you at this point in your career like you know you, you go into it with like whatever creative intention you have but i don't know sometimes i don't know this doesn't pan out the way you thought i don't know does that happen to you at all sure of course all the time i mean i you know when i'm on set i'm doing two things well, i've been doing lots of things but in my mind i'm trying to get the best picture i've ever taken or at least the best picture possible that day yeah and i'm also looking to in a way, like I'm trying to get the highest highs and, and ensuring that the lowest lows are like if I want to make sure that we get something that doesn't fail too bad, like yeah. for lack of a better way of putting it. And I think that's part of being a professional is like a large part of your building your practice is that when you do fail, you're falling, you know, you're falling like 20 percent and not like 80 percent. And yeah. I think early in your career, you have big fails where like like you totally like blew it and there's nothing usable or whatever. As you get better and more experienced, a big part of what you're doing is, you know, like it's funny because people focus on like, look how this shot's so amazing or this is so beautiful. But in your mind, when you're on set, you're like, don't fucking blow it. Like you gotta <laughs> come out of here with something okay. Like, cause yeah. oftentimes that's all you're gonna get is, and the, you know, the fact is at our level of shooting, you know, my, like, I, like, I just skated past is like the clients, like, this is great. Like, yeah. so they never know that in my mind, that was a fail, but to their mind, like 
we got something really strong and that's great. But in a way like that's what being a like a professional is, is that your standards are so high that even ones that you consider a gentle fail are considered a success by the client. Yeah, I had a shoot like that this week. It was the same shoot I was talking about where like technically it's fine. It's lit good. Like it, it is what it is and it will work. But to me, it's like I, I just like walked away. and I was like, man, that picture is just boring. Like it's not going to go in my portfolio. It's I'm not going to post it. And it was just like technically it's fine. It's lit good. It's sharp. I guess the composition fine. But like, I don't know. It was just it was a tough location. And I walked away just like defeated. I was just like. Mm -hmm. And now it's just been going through my mind for a week. Like, how should I yeah, approach but, that? How well, should that's I? Good. Maybe, yeah. you'll, maybe you'll learn something. I mean, I yeah. do think that like when people ask me why, like, how are you I still so engaged with my work and so passionate still yeah. over 30 years in? I think a big part of it is that is that is that I still think I can do better. Mm. You know, not only that that the lows are higher, but also that um, my highs can be higher, that I, I think I can, I don't think I've made my best work yet and I'm still working towards getting there. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoy the challenge. And like, even this, like looking at this book, like it seemed like it was a challenge. It was six years of like, not only just the creative aspect, but just finding these people. And, and is that this part of the process you enjoy the challenge of like, you know, finding these difficult subjects to put together because it is like, I, I would imagine it's a daunting task. Like, it's like, I, I don't know any other people have like approached photographing someone like this. And it's like uh, part of you could probably want to walk away at points and be like, this is too tough. But like, what kind of keeps you going in those difficult times? Well, I don't know if I'm drawn to like impossible subjects or I just recognize that if it's successful, mm -hmm. people will recognize like this is like a deep subculture and it, it can't have been an easy get. I think that, you know, we always tend to perceive culture as it's all been done. And I think finding something that feels fresh and hasn't been done. I mean, even it's funny because I've met a lot of people now who work in the strip club industry uh, and many of them on the creative side. And they'll say like, yeah, your book is a fresh take. Like I've never seen anyone thought to do something focusing on the partners or entering this world through the partners. And, and obviously that feels great to hear that. But I think that it's, uh, it, it's clearly a well-trodden area. Like a lot of people have done photographic projects or documentaries around strip clubs and strippers. And this is a fresh take. Um, and I don't know, like, I, I guess I am drawn to these kind of subjects that are hard to find or are difficult to like secure. But it's for that reason that I think that you, you just know that in a way, like, I don't know, there's always that kind of battle between like quality and originality. And I think that, you know, quality matters more being making really good work mm -hmm. is really valuable, but, but moving through an original space or having an original concept um and good work then it really shines right like the best pictures and interviews in gentlemen the gentleman's club book are really like super fun because it feels like you're being you're stepping into a world that is you know like otherwise very difficult to to be in and um and in a way when because they're well executed it's really dynamic and fun and like and entertaining and engaging um so yeah i mean it can be very exciting to do that kind of work. But, you know, getting there is very difficult. It took me many, many years, you know, from the origin to the book actually being out and promoted 
it's probably coming on eight years now. And it's, I, you know, even my agent will always be like, can you do something that will take you three months instead of six years? <laughs> well, that's not the good stuff. The good stuff is like the project. That's like the best stuff when people work like 10 years on it. Like, what was that one movie that came out? It came out like a while ago. It was called Boyhood. Sure. And it, and it was like he worked on the movie for like 15 years and it was like the same actors. And it was this like it just hit different because it was like, damn, that guy spent that much time on that one project. But like, yeah, it's, it's epic. It's, it's impressive. Um, I mean, I agree with you. I do love that epic quality, but I wish that I could find, I don't know, for me, because always the agents are like, like, do some tests. I mean, we, we want some fresh work to put like in an email newsletter. And I'm like, for me, just to go shoot something with some models, not the knocking models, but for me, if it's, if it's not someone who, who is something or does something or has a narrative or story that connects to me, the pictures will be fine, but they won't be great. And what's yeah. the point of promoting with pictures that aren't great? Like it needs to be great work. Otherwise, why am I bothering people by reaching out with it or posting it or whatever? Like I tried doing, like I thought, okay, what's a project I can do that's just at my fingertips? Like what subjects are just around me everywhere? And I thought, okay, well, there's kids. Like I live in the suburbs. I've got an 11 year old child. Yeah. She's got, you know, we have neighbors and we have, kids at school and kids she plays soccer with and everything well those you know those kids i know all the parents i know even know a lot of the kids what if i did a portrait series of these kids so i did three shoots i did one girl and two boys and they were fine there's a couple of interesting images but what i realized is was i wasn't going i wasn't leaning in full on because i realized i do like to go to those awkward kind of complex dark spaces yeah. and i do think you know there is dark shit in my childhood which i would happily like mine for this photo series with the kids but like then i have to go to the parents and be like hey i want to do stuff about childhood trauma like and they'd be like this <laughs> yeah, is the like, suburbs this is not like, really that a fucking crazy ass neighbor chris again yeah. lock your doors <laughs> exactly so you know it so in a way like i wasn't i kind of do stuff at the I really want to get like into the kind of like the loneliness or the bullying or the, you know, the kind of struggles of identity that yeah. young people have that, you know, isn't usually dealt with very, at least very well in photography. But like, I have to maintain relationships with these neighbors. I can't be doing these fucking crazy ass pictures of their kids looking like, like, you know, like, like, like psychopaths, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. Kids is tough. Um, yeah, because like, what were you? I was actually interested in that. Like, what were you like growing up as a kid? Like, did did you, did you like school? Like, what kind of stuff were you into? Like, what, what were you kind of into as a kid? This is a youth, I guess. Um, I was, um, I you know, when I was young, I was into like pop culture, like movies and music. I was a big big music fan. Yeah. Um, you know, I love bands like Queen and Kiss. Like when I was like 12, 13 years old. Um, just like obsessive about one band or, or artist after another and movies like Star Wars. I was big on that stuff, science fiction. Um, and, and, and I, you know, I had a small little group of friends um, in middle school and high school. In high school, it kind of broke up more to like different group, friend groups. So I had like, I was friends with the stoners and I was friends with the sci-fi kids. Um, so did you say you're, I, were you like an extrovert or like an introvert you think as a kid? That was actually tough because I was an extrovert. I mean, I'm still an extrovert, but 
like I was not cool. I was never cool. And cool is what reigns from about like age 10 to until when you finish college, right? Yeah, pretty much. And maybe in college, it's less, there's less cool factor. And you kind of, in college, I studied photography. So I could kind of be more of my own, my own tribe, as it were. Yeah. And also like I was part of the music scene in Toronto where I grew up. And so I could f- find my own kind of people and kind of be more myself. But in a way, I was forced to kind of be quiet uh, in middle school and high school because I was an extrovert, but like totally uncool and therefore was kind of outside the kind of inner circle of the boys or whatever, the cool kids, the kind of in crowd, which I, you know, I did not appreciate. <laughs> um, and it, but, you know, it probably motivated me to be, to become successful, like to kind of show the bastards that they're wrong. Yeah, man. Now you're out here publishing books. You got shot covers for the uh, the New York Times Magazine this year with Seth Rogen, which that That's was right. inter- that was a cool shoot, man. I was actually uh, interested in talking to you about that shoot. It was a cool like you built this like whole floral thing in this portrait you did. Like, yes. how, how, how did that kind of shoot come about? Well, it was really interesting because it's a cover. Like there's all kinds of, you know, obviously, you know, in all shoots, there's all different ways you can view it. Yeah. You know, I'd shot Seth Rogen before, you know, the, 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 the main photo editor I was dealing with, um, Amy Kellner from the Times Magazine. I, I knew her from way back in the day. Um, she used to be a writer, actually, and then she became a photo editor later. Um, and I'd done a couple of assignments for her before. But I think the most interesting thing is when you're doing a cover, it's like doing an ad shoot, but in an editorial space. So they want the kind of like, like the kind of excitement and di- dynamic quality of editorial, yeah. but they also have like fifteen people weighing in yeah. who all have all who all have to be kind of like respected. Yeah. And and it's not to say their viewpoints are wrong or like it's not like it's bad input. I think all the ideas that came from them, the people I was you know because and luckily I wasn't hearing from people directly. It was sort of fed through the photo department, but. You know, it's, it's a lot of narratives and what would happen is like, like we want to do X and then we, we get all excited about it. We brainstorm things and kind of map out like how can we get the props for that and how's the location going to work for that. And then we pivot two days later to be like, now we're focused on this other thing. And I might say like, that's a cool idea in theory, but how are we going to execute it? Like, because as the shooter, of course, you have to think about, well, in the end, I'm the one who has to deliver, to, to deliver this. And if it looks like shit, then I'm, it's me my fault. So, yeah. so you have to think like, you know, I have to, you know, cause I'm not going to say, well, your idea is bad. It wasn't bad. It was just, that's cool. But how, but what would it actually look like? And so there's a lot of that. And then, but we became at some point, like maybe three days out, it was like, we're going to have this and that and this. But one of the main things was the flowers. So you got the flowers you the prop styles. So that was good because we, we had the personnel to like make it happen. And so the prop stylist worked with some like florists and stuff and got all the flowers together. But even the day of the shoot, we were on set and like I'd already visited the set the day before. It's just in Los Angeles. And I, you know, I keep an apartment out there. So I was very comfortable and had my kind of feet very firmly on the ground. So I felt very ready and prepared, but there still wasn't really clarity, but what were you going to do with the flowers? And so we're literally sitting there like Seth Rogen's arriving in an hour. We're shooting in three hours and we don't know what we're going to do with the flowers yet. And so I'm sitting there with Amy and we're kind of 
bouncing ideas back and forth. And the prop styles are sitting there more listening than talking. And I'm like, not saying this, but inside I'm panicking. I'm like, yeah, we need a decision here. So I sort of flowed out. Why don't we do X? And I said, I think that like, I was like, why don't we have him lying on the ground and having like, we kind of have this, 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 this sort of dried leaves and, and dirt instead of gray, gray, brown, and have him lying in that and looking delightful, very Seth Rogen, kind of gleeful. And then kind of the flowers are kind of exploding like a, like a cornucopia out of his head. And of course, if we just lay them on the ground and kind of maybe, you know, build something out on the ground. And Amy's like, oh, I don't know. You know, and I, Amy and I get along really well. We have a natural connection. And, you know, we've known each other a long time. Now, she actually wrote a story that I did the photos for in like 1997 on the musician Smog. And we knew each other from those days. And so we had a really easy connection and I really respect her a lot. So I, so I think we're comfortable with each other, but she's also my client. And so, you know, she's sort of hemming and hawing or not. She's just sort of like listening. And she's like, I don't think so. And I'm like, fuck, yeah. I just, need, I, I just need something. To it's, yeah. It's so tough because like you said, you want to please your clients. I had this happen recently, recently too. Like, they, they throw you out all these ideas, but then like there's only so much you can do in a day. And like you said, you want to deliver a final product that's good, but then you're also trying to appease them. So it's like this weird balance of balancing these things, but not like fucking yourself in the end, because right. then you, you need to you know what it takes to make a good picture and like time and the effort and details to go into this one right. shot. And it's like balancing these things and knowing, I guess, like, how do you know when to like put your foot down and be like, Hey, well, that's, that's the thing because we need to do, we need to like execute it and execute it. Well, like I'm trying to balance. I want a picture that's dynamic and beautiful and like in, and just feels new and fresh, but I also want, I also need to actually do it. <laughs> like I need yeah. to actually like physically do it. We need the, the time and the expertise and the, the team and all that. So the fact that you know, we had the prop styles there and him and I, I guess earlier talked about, cause he wanted, I mean, frankly, he probably wanted to start working on it like an hour and a half before that. Yeah. So he was getting nervous and he didn't say so, but his energy was such that I knew, I sensed that he wanted to get onto it and wanted a decision. And we had talked earlier before we brought Amy in about like building kind of like a, a kind of like think of like almost like, like a giant sandbox full of, of flowers and then Seth is lying in it. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, but that's just too much. Like almost we need, we need to focus the idea more. So it's not just, it almost feels like we don't know what we want. We're just going to throw them in a pile of flowers, you know? <laughs> and so, that's why we was trying to find, that's why I thought of the cornucopia thing. So it felt more like an explosion of flowers out of his head. Yeah. But then Amy's like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not feeling that. And so, so then we were got, and I realized too, that having Seth lie down, cause he's kind of a big guy. Yeah. His, the, his flesh would kind of fall yeah, in a way that, yeah. And his face just wouldn't look like himself. And I thought, oh, that's not going to work. And so, which is not like, like there's very few people whose faces don't move when they lie down. Like either you have to be like 14 or like super skinny. Yeah. Um, and so, and so I was like, yeah, you're right. That's not going to work. And then the guy's like, well, we, cause he talked about how he's going to build it with like using chicken wire and then have, 
and kind of loop the um, flowers through it. So I think Amy was like, well, what if we just do that, but as a vertical and, and then kind of have it like almost like a wall of flowers, but upright. So Seth's, so Seth can look right. And so then I, maybe the prophetess said, well, why don't we just build that, but then have a, have a natural top to it. So it feels like they're almost kind of growing out of it. And that's kind of how he got to that place. Mm. And, and then he went about building it and, you know, used most of the time. Like we were literally shooting with Seth already by the time the thing was done. It was wow. like crazy town. But once, so then we got on to, like, I literally like was like, let's do a picture of Seth sitting on a pile of logs <laughs> like, just to buy some time <laughs> so they could finish making the floral thing. But we brought the floral thing into the studio space. Uh, like we were shooting in a kind of cabin location. We then we kind of then there's like there's a hole cut out for Seth to put his head through, and he was very amiable and very easy to work with, you know, just like how you see him in the movies, very funny and and playful. Yeah. And he was, you know, so he put his head through and kind of gave us that kind of little okay. cutesy look he has. Yeah. And we shot the first test, and it was like a like a collective drawing of air in the room because it just looked amazing yeah, already. Like, oh, we got we got it we got yeah, it yeah <laughs> like this is gonna oh fuck this is gonna work. It was great. And then so it really did like, and then it was just a matter of like, all right, let's get a lot of variations of this and see how we can like really nail it. But it really, that's one of those shots where like, like 90% of it is in the conceptualization. And it was just a matter of like literally slipping his head in. Yeah, it, man, it is. It's for me, it's refreshing to hear that. Like, cause I think when I first started out, like, and I was looking up to guys like you and other photographers and you're shooting for these big publications. I'm like, oh, so like once they get to that, that tier, they're this like, they got it figured up and then they show up and, you know, it's just, they got their good assistants and their crew and it's just, you know, it's this bing, bang, boom, but it's no, it's just still, you're just piecing it together and sweating it out and just trying to figure it out day by day, pretty much still. But I do think that there's something about, and not that I want everything so to the wire, but there's something about that energy of removing to a climax. And there, and there still is like conflict and tension and struggles towards, you know, as we get closer to it. I do think that shows in the work, mm -hmm. at least for me, like, I think I like to leave some of that tension in there. I mean, that this picture set isn't the best example, but if you look at other things of mine, there's a way in which there's a a somewhat kind of unfinished quality. Like it's finished and not finished at the same time. There's, there's something kind of a little open-ended. Like it's like the kind of tension isn't really released that I think in my best work, I think that's in there where it's almost like a question is asked, but but it's, it's not answered. And yeah. I think that um, I think that that can come from you know, look, I, I prepare all my shoes to be as ready as possible, but in a way I do like some tension on set. And when things are like super chill, it actually makes me kind of feel uneasy and weird. I did a shoot with Kendrick Lamar a few years ago and he's so like, like relaxed and focused and like just very present. And, and him and his people were all like really like very like generous and very relaxed and sweet and decent. And it made me very anxious because in a way, like it lacked the kind of struggle and tension that I'm used to. And I, I realize I feed off of it. Like, it's almost like a, I don't know, like, it's almost like that, 
that tension kind of gets into the work for me yeah it's like the same thing as your as your project it's like a difficult situation yeah you thrive in in the stress (laughs) no totally and that's well the way that's why i was drawn to that project because the aspect of like the kind of inherent conflict of dating a stripper it's like Mm -hmm. you know you're dating someone who makes their living being intimate with strangers for money like like that's just as someone dating someone how can you like, how is that tenable? Like, it's just weird to me. Like, and even after doing the project, I still don't really, like, I get it. I can, I can tell you what they said, but I still don't really get it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And you know, you, you came up, like you, you shot a lot of editorial, you shoot, you still shoot editorial and you do a lot of advertising. Um, like, what is it about editorial work you still like doing? Cause I know plenty of guys who like, once they started getting in the ad world, they kind of, they, they kind of stopped doing editorial. Like they just kind of ignore it and they just try to go after like the big jobs, which I get, but w- what do you kind of enjoy about editorial? And what keeps you kind of wanting to shoot it? Well, I think there's a few things. I think that, I think it often is just in terms of personal satisfaction. I think it's often my best work. Yeah. I think just something about the editorial space that it's the, you know, like in a way, I'll, I'll talk about the commercial and personal project spaces to kind of define it. In personal projects, you have a ton of freedom. You can do whatever you want. Lots of flexibility. You can choose your subjects. You can map out how much time you have. You can shoot most anywhere you want. There's a lot of flexibility and creative control. In the commercial space, you have, you have money. You have access to like great production and um, really like a high level, like it's aimed at a high level of like polish and finish and quality, uh, but very little um, artistic kind of, uh, I mean, I have input, but, but uh, you know, I'm, I can get vetoed and that's totally fine. And that's, that's my role. In the editorial space, you kind of get the best of both that there's some money and certainly access in my case to uh, prominent people. So I've got, like some budget and kind of like, I'm kind of given agency and access to these incredible people. And in a way too, like I go to shoot with like, you know, um, someone like Seth Rogen, I'm shooting for the Times Magazine and Seth knows who, who I am just because I've shot with him before, but usually people don't know who I am and they're really there for the magazine. They're not there for me. Yeah. So, you know, they just want to be in GQ or the Times Magazine or the Guardian or whatever. And they don't, they don't really think either way about the photographer. They don't really, you know, it could be anyone. But, but they're there and I have access to them and they're going to work with me. And um, so the magazines usually have expectations, but they also know that the budget is limited and, and they're dealing with real people, even if they are celebrities, they're still real people in the sense that they're not a hired model. They're not going to just do whatever the magazine wants. So the magazine has to give me flexibility. It's built in. And so even if I do a couple of setups that are very much directed by the magazine and their asks, I'm also going to do one or two steps that are really what I want. And usually the usually is like one step that's sort of a cross between what I think the magazine, like the magazine sweet spot and my sweet spot. And then it'd be one step that's really just full on Chris Buck. Yeah. And the fact that I have that is in, and I think too, there's like that kind of like, there's also like, there's an amazing amount of pressure to deliver because in a way, in a way, like in the commercial work, there's that pressure. But in the personal work, there's none. And you have to actually create your own pressure. I find I need to, to deliver my best work. Like I'll be halfway through that gentleman's club book and be like, 
God, you know, I've got some great work in here, but you know, how many pictures are really like truly great images that are like page stoppers? Like that you're like, whoa, I need more of those. And so I have to put my own pressure on myself. I remember when I went to go shoot Tim and Sarah in upstate New York, I was full on obsessed with getting one of them or both of them naked. Yeah. And in the end, I did get Tim naked. He's that shot in, he's in a field and there's a cat brushing up against his leg and he's naked. And it's one of my favorite shots in the book. And I know, like, I know it's partially because I was, I incentivized myself and put the pressure on myself to deliver like one of the best pictures of the project that day. I, I was like, I have to, it was like a seven hour drive or something. I'm like the whole drive. I was like full on obsessed. Like, <laughs> you know, like I, it just, I, you can see me in the car, like leaning forward, yeah. like I must do this. But yeah. you know, an editorial, I don't have to do that because the pressure <laughs> is inherent. It's like built into the project. Yeah. So I do think that intense pressure mixed with a fair amount of flexibility yeah. is amazing. That there's not, there's, it's not a coincidence that the pictures I'm best known for are my editorial work. Yeah. No, and that's one of the reasons why I keep doing it is that, well, I do enjoy it. I mean, I love, I love working in that space, but also too that, that like at some point I'm not going to be here and all that's going to be left is the pictures. And if I'm more likely to make better pictures in that space, then it's worth working in that space for all its challenges. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm saying I was like shooting, man, like whatever it is, throw my way. I'm, I'm down to knock it down. Absolutely. It, it, it's just, I feel like I, I, I work on momentum. Like, like the last few months I've been shooting a ton and I feel like I, I'm just like in a groove. I don't know if you ever feel like this when you're just like, you got a personal project going, you got some assignments going. It's just like, there's just like an energy and it's just like momentum. And it's just, I'm always just trying to keep that going. Like it doesn't always work that way. Like you got to find that next project that doesn't just come out of thin air. But like, for me, it's a big momentum thing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I think so. That's, and I think just another reason why I do editorial and personal projects is when I get a big commercial campaign, I want to have the engine warmed up already. Like I want to come in to set like focused and present. And two, like, you know, you, you, you mentioned these friends who go into commercial work. Oftentimes when I meet people who are solely focused on commercial, yep. they kind of hate their lives. Like, like they're making good money, but they don't, like they'll say things like, oh, I envy you. It's like, well, you can do it too. You know, you don't have to yeah. like stay out of it. You know, I think it's just like, I know people like it's for them, it's a job and that's fine. Like, like they'll shoot lifestyle and stuff like that and they make great money. Um, But for me, it's like, it's really like personal satisfaction and knowing like I create an image that I'm proud of. Cause there's plenty of like commercial things I've done for like whatever, like insurance companies or whatever it might be where it's like, the photo is fine. I work for the client, but there's no personal satisfaction in that picture. And I didn't right. like feel like I grew as an artist or as a photographer. And that's what it is to me. And I love photography so much. Like this looking at other people's work, buying books or whatever. It's just like a nonstop thing. And I think some people, they just don't have that. And that's fine. Like, and they have other interests in life and it's just two different things. But I do think that like when I come on to a commercial job, yeah, I don't, I don't have mixed feelings. I'm very happy to be there and I'm very present. And there's a sense of like, because I'm doing other things, I, there's not a sense of like, oh my God, this is like soul sucking. And like, nah, nah. I'm, yeah, I'm like, you know what? I have great gratitude that I've been brought onto this like big project and I'm collaborating with great people. Like I, I probably shouldn't say this, but I actually think I more naturally connect with 
advertising people that I do editorial. Like even though I built my name and reputation in editorial and in some ways, even my commercial work, they're kind of hiring me for an editorial look. Mm-hmm. And yet because the ad people, that world is so competitive yep. and so driven that I actually have a more easy connection with these people because they're like so intensely focused on it being in this, this competitive space of advertising that it's kind of the, more the way I think it's like super driven and entrepreneurial and like, like let's think outside the box and like this time we're going to kill it. And like this kind of thinking is yeah. kind of more how I think as a shooter, even though I come from an editorial space. Yeah, definitely. The thing interesting about advertising is because all those like art directors and creative directors, they spent years like pitching creative di- ideas to whatever, maybe their clients Ford cars or whatever it is. And they've worked so hard to like pitch this idea to a client and get them to do it to the point where you are shooting. And then they're trying to maintain that client and then pitch new ideas. So it's like, I mean, for you, is that something you do much? Will you pitch ideas to um, creatives, be it art directors, creative directors, producers? Like maybe it's a certain client you think you have an idea for. Will you come up with like a creative deck and pitch or do you work that way at all? Not really. I mean, in the commercial space, I'm really brought in like at the last stage where, mm-hmm. you know, they they have their ideas and they're fleshed out and they're approved. And then they are looking to hire a shooter to execute it. And that's really my role. Like, and it's interesting because I've been lucky enough to do enough commercial work that at least visually aligns with my other work that people look at my ad work and they think I'm bringing a lot to the table in terms of ideas and and brainstorming and all that. But the fact is it's rare. Like I'm there to like help get the performance out of the talent. I'm I'm helping with the lighting and the composition, but really I'm really helping. I'm really working with the creative directors and the um, agency to fulfill their their mission and their vision Um, so and I'm really like quite happy to do that in that space the um, but I do if I have ideas I either do it myself or um, right now I'm actually looking to do more motion projects so I'm looking to collaborate with comedians or bands to like do music videos or short comedy videos um, and that's something where I'm looking to collaborate. So in that case, in those spaces, I'll be pitching. I mean, I certainly pitch for commercial jobs in the sense that once I'm, I've been approached, then I might do like a treatment deck, yeah. you know, and it'll talk about like my approach to, you know, casting and performances and lighting and stuff like that, just so they kind of get a sense of what I'm, I'm you know, what I bring to the table if they brought me on board. And I do that all the time. It's just part of my job. But in terms of personal work, if I have an idea, I'm not going to go to an ad agency and say, you know, Pepsi really should do X. It's like, they don't want to hear that from me. You guys want to do as a stripper's boyfriend? <laughs> if you do. Tro- you Trojan know, condoms, ready. Trojan condoms. Hit up Chris Buck. He'll do it. <laughs> um, no, that's awesome. And another portrait I was really interested in talking to you about. I think you shot earlier this year. I think in January. It could have been earlier. But you photographed Chuck Schumer. And I found the picture to this be like, very interesting. I was just kind of interested in like the backstory, your approach to that portrait, because it was very like when I looked at it, he almost looked like I don't mean this as like an insult. He When I looked at him, he looked like a like a not a statue, but like a like, like what are those museums you go to? Like they have one at like Disney World where it's like uh, they have celebrities and they're just like clay statues. Oh, like a wax museum. Yeah, he almost looked like that when I looked at it. And it was just for me, it was just such an interesting portrait because he was just wearing his, I don't know. But yeah, what was the backstory yeah. and approach to that? The um it was an assignment for a city and state magazine. Yeah. And it was like, you know, you'll have two minutes kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, he was going to be, he was going to his office in the city and he was going to like, he's just going to go to his office and on the way their reporter was going to stop and ask a couple questions. Yeah. I forget what it was about. It was about uh, new leadership in the house or something. Yeah. And so there's that, you know, uh, they, his office has agreed that you can take a quick portrait. And, you know, uh, you know, I'm like a really thoughtful portrait photographer who takes it very seriously. But I knew I could work with like the, you know, the available light, wherever, whatever it was. It was sunny. I just go in the shade. If it's shady, I can just pick a background. Mm -hmm. And we just, you know, my assistant and intern and I just got there like maybe 45 minutes ahead and just scattered around. We knew roughly where he was going to kind of come out of the subway to go to his office. And so we, we kind of knew like, all right, we've got this kind of like half block radius we can work with. So I did some tests like just on my phone yeah. and like, I, right, you know, this looks good. You know, da, da. So what happened was in the, like literally in the seconds before he arrived, I saw this little like nook kind of behind a little corner. I love, I love like we're in this big open space, but I love tiny comp can like compressed spaces. Like oftentimes it's very weird. I'll be in these big luxurious photo studios, but I'll find some corner where we're like cr crunched into like, you know, the subjects on one little wall and I'm in like, like, you know, cr crouching back <laughs> in the other one. Maybe it just forces intimacy that I really like and it pulls yeah. something out of people, but we are in this tiny space. Now he had been vaccinated and I hadn't yeah. because it was sort of before the vaccinations were widely available, but being, um, a member of Congress, he ha had his vaccination. So um, so he had his mask off and I had one on. So it was a little awkward and I felt kind of bad, but it was okay. Mm -hmm. um, and it was outside. So I really wasn't concerned about safety. Just It was just awkward in terms of like protocol and all that. And, um, but we, so we shot over there and it was sort of shooting in towards Midtown. And what happened was we, so we, we shot and he loves the media and loves being the center of attention. So we actually got like a full five minutes or something, oh, wow. which was great. So we got a little bit of variety and I tried looking at camera and looking away and looking tough and looking happy and whatever. But in a way, like, as you saw, like the best one was kind of looking away. You're right. It feels kind of like noble statue. Like it feels like a Roman statue or something. Yeah. Because you know what, for me, it was like, it's you see him on TV all the time and he's like usually wearing a suit. And in the picture, he was just wearing like a puffy coat and he just looked like a, like a, like a normal, like grandpa or something like, or something yeah, like that. It's because he was a Sunday, I think. And he was just, he yeah. wasn't going to wear a suit. No, I, 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 I loved it. Like it just, nice. so yeah, it was just, for me, it just stood out. It just had like an interesting, like, but vibe. one thing that happened, it was really cool. Was that, the angle of shooting at wasn't quite right. So once he left, I shot some plates of kind of more of the background. Because what I did is I had him partially in front of this sort of wall. Mm -hmm. But then to the left was kind of like opening up into Midtown. So I shot more of that. And the light shifted. So light, the sun was reflecting off the, the metallic buildings and reflecting into the camera and kind of causing this sort of... Um, Flare. flaring and hazing and stuff yeah so i shot more of that for another like minute or two until we are like kicked out by the building security and um basically my intern talked to the building security while i kept shooting with my assistant like tethered just to kind of like and he was like i can see you're still shooting you know <laughs> i love it chris you're always just playing mental warfare out here whatever yeah, you gotta do to get the job dude yeah, exactly <laughs> but you know we ended up using so once I, the shots of him, the lighting's nice and the background's good, but the lighting was so magical. 
with the plates that ended up like merging the two and using basically most of the frame is from the plates I shot. I basically constructed the plates into a background and then laid um, laid um, Schumer onto it. And uh, and then kind of like, and but it blended quite nicely. And I uh, just kind of added a little bit of like softening of the contrast or something. And it just blended perfectly. Is and that that's why I got this kind of magical, like futuristic kind of yeah. New York vibe, you know? Yeah. Is, and is that something you do a lot of like composite work with your images? Yeah. yeah. So I don't do it in more journalistic settings, but if it's more open-ended like this, I'll do something like that. I mean, it's not like I'm like, creating things out of whole cloth. Like I literally didn't even move the camera. I think I swung it to the left, like an inch yeah. and then, and then got extra material. Um, but it, but I will do that to kind of just finish off the shots. Like I like my shots to feel like they're in the real world, yeah. but if I can create a little, um, if I can like take them up a notch with the finishing or, or clean it up a little bit by removing something, then I'll do so. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not like I wouldn't even have thought that was a composite unless you told me. Um, yeah, because another picture that kind of stuck out to me too this year, you did a portrait of the artist Cause. And I just found that picture and the picture of Schumer, this very like, because like some of, the, some of the work you've done, like you'll light, you'll use strobes, but those very much just look kind of like, I don't know, not documentary and stuff, but very more like low key to like some of your other work in terms of like lighting and stuff. And I guess like, like, I guess, how, yeah, how, how do you view, like, the... So the cause one you're referring to the, to the tight portrait? Yeah, that one, or the one where he's sitting, like, he's, like, you're, like, from above, and he's, right. like, sitting down, and it, yeah, it very, yeah. almost, like, I don't want to say snapshot, but this, like, a little more, like, more subdued than some of your other work, like, that sure. one. I yeah. mean, it's, I mean, they are lit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that one's lit. Oh, really? Um, just as, like, just, like, one light on him, and then we, we match the lighting to the room. Because the room... Cause I had this lighting on the sculpture and it's not, it wasn't daylight. It was something else. So I had to match it and then filter the, the light and I lit him. But yeah. yeah so, um, you know, I think that it's a thing where the, as I'm developing what I'm doing, I'm trying in a way, like I'm trying to make my best work. I think, I do think my best work ends up kind of being simple. Yeah. That I think there's a way in which, I try to, I do have a belief that like, I need to go too far to find where it's far enough and I'll do kind of crazy extreme kind of stuff. But I do find when I kind of almost remove a, like a prop or like simplify the frame, but it actually, but if there's something going on in it, what's in there becomes more powerful. And so yeah. that's what I'm really trying to do, I think. Yeah, less is more. No, I really enjoyed that work. Um, another thing, I know you mentioned it. I know you just partnered with the new rep, I believe, Red Eye Reps, correct? Correct, yes. And this is like a conversation I love having with. I've had it with so many photographers. This my friends, not even just on the podcast, but like at this point, like, like why partner with the rep and like what what is it you're looking for from a rep and like what do you think they bring to the table for you, I guess? Well, I mean, like obviously I've been in the business a long time, but but so have they. And so they have wisdom from another viewpoint that is really valuable. And I'll still ask, you know, Marin Levinson, who is my main agent, you know, I'll say, I'm thinking of doing X. What do you think? And she'll say, mm, I think we can wait on that. Like, let's wait a week and like revisit that question. And I think that having someone outside of my, outside of my head mm -hmm. who is wise is super valuable. Um, I think also too that, in a commercial space, I think it's essential, at least essential to me. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because when it comes to negotiating jobs, the agencies don't want to talk to me. They want to talk to like someone else who they can talk hard numbers or they can negotiate hard and really get into the weeds. And then once something's worked out, then do a reset when all the creatives are on set. And it's all very positive and creative rather than being like having a big like argument over $10,000 or whatever, and then having to come on set and having this like tension and animosity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think on a really, just on a practical level, that stuff's really valuable. And is there like, obviously you've had, how many reps have you had over the course of your career? You've had a couple. I mean, this is really my fifth. I um, mean, the first one was really only about six months, yeah. but, but it was all, I kind of mentioned it only because it was really valuable as a learning experience. My first rep was, this, uh, it was Visage, which was, the, it was this guy, Vernon Jolly. He represented like Wayne Mazer and Herb Ritz and like a really bunch of hot, like yep. this is in the early nineties, like hot fashion, kind of fashion portrait people. And I was with them for six months and it was just interesting to be, as my first rep, it was kind of fascinating to kind of see the world from that viewpoint, you know? Yeah. And then I got on to being with Julian Richards, who I was with for 15 years. And that was a very fruitful relationship that, really kind of I, it was with him that I really built the career that I'm known for now. And is there like any advice you'd have for photographers who think they're ready for a rep, like things that they, they should be asking or things they should be looking out for? Like um, what do you think people should be looking for? If you're, if you think you're ready for a rep or that's like a partnership, you're looking for. It's a for? great question. You know, I wish people would uh, talk more about the business in these kind of spaces yeah. because you know, the creative stuff is really great and really fun, but the business is a lot of what keeps people in the game. You know, if you can't make a living, then you can't stay in photography. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always loved having a rep, but even though I'm like quite independent-minded and really, um, you know, quite opinionated about what I do, at the same time, having someone who feels like a partner in crime, who really like has my back is super valuable to me having a person to talk to and scheme with and like map out, like, what are we going to do over the next two years? Like, what, what are our big goals? You know, what are, you know, what are we going to, how are we going to strategize the month to month as well as the year? And I think that having that, I find really motivating and helpful. Um, the, when you're looking for a rep, I think having someone you can do that with, I think is really important at the same time, you know, my relationship with Julian was so unique because he really was not like a money person. Like in a way, like when I joined with him, we're our, our big goals as an agency, we're really more creative and we just kind of want to like, kind of have fun and like make good work. Like even when we started getting commercial work, then we, we kind of thought it was a bit of a joke. I mean, it's hard to think back and imagine now, but like the first commercial jobs we got were largely through Michael McLaughlin, who is a great photographer who, He's still working now and he he was just kind of of our group. He was the most kind of easy, easy and less sort of scary, I guess, of the shooters. So he he would get some interest from agencies at that time in the mid 90s. The um, agencies are beginning to use more editorial people to kind of get some of the editorial authenticity and edge. And Michael was kind of the least scary of our people. And so he started getting some jobs and he was kind of the gateway for all of us. Um, Greg Miller was in the group, David Barry, um, Alex Tarani came in later on. And so 
by having um, Michael would kind of get these jobs and then he, they would look at the rest of the roster and be like, oh, I think I can see, find a place for Chris Buck or, or David Barry and get, you know, have some work for them. So we were kind of like, oh, sure, we'll do this. It was kind of a joke to us. But then the first check came in. It was like, I think I was getting like $15,000 a day versus my editorial, which was like four fifty a day. Yeah. It, I calculated it was like 30 times more <laughs> for the same day. And it just blew our minds. We were like, you know, let's change our focus of our marketing more towards these jobs a bit, you know, like yeah. make me, this, this, maybe this isn't so funny, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, but, it, but, but being in that nurturing environment with Julian, where we still didn't really like, I remember doing some jobs where like, uh, you know, maybe the client wasn't super happy at some job I did, like whatever in the mid nineties. And I love the work. And Julian was like, well, those guys are idiots. Like this, this is great. If they don't like it, fuck them. And having an agent whose viewpoint was like, like we're smarter than the clients was very, very good as someone who was, I wasn't super young, but I was like maybe like approaching 30 and really like trying to figure out my path. Being with someone who, who, who kind of, in a way, like I was trying to impress Julian more than I was trying to impress the clients, which Maybe it wasn't a great career strategy, but but in the short term, maybe it wasn't. But in the long term, it was great because he really wanted me to make awesome, badass work. Not like I remember one time I got an assignment for Esquire and they were doing, I mean, it was like 2004 and they were doing a photography issue. I don't know if you remember this, yeah. but the whole issue was around photography. And they, um, you know, the cover was like a model, some hot fashion model with like a, like a, like a large format camera. And, and so they had to the, for their fashion story, they had like something like six photographers do self portraits wearing like Esquire fashion. So I was one of the ones asked because I was a regular shooter for them at that time. And it was a great honor. And I was like, trying to come up with ideas and stuff. And so I start, I was talking with my girlfriend about it. And I was like, I'm thinking of doing this. And I was going to like, do this thing where it's all punk rock and fucked up and everything. Yeah. And she was like, oh, you know, maybe you should just do something more clever and like more low key. And I started talking with Julian about it. And he's like, no, 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 you can't do anything like that. And he's English. So he's English. <laughs> like, be, look, you know, our peers are going to look at this. And if you do something like really soft and lame, people are going to dismiss you and be like, Chris Buck is like pathetic. You know, yeah. the same way that we would. He said, you have to do, you should go through your idea list and find some crazy, stupid thing that is some, like just some such I wouldn't do. That's just something totally off the wall and just really dark. And you have to do that. Then do something the subject was too, too cowardly to do. That's what you have to do. Wow. Don't do something that your mother would like. And, you know, and so I mentioned this to my girlfriend and she was like, yeah, I was kind of worried what my mom would think. And I was like... <laughs> Like, oh, that's interesting, you know. <laughs> I ended up marrying this woman. She was, she's now my wife. And when when the story came out, it was right when we got married. And my mother-in-law loved it. And she, so what I did was I did a shot where the magazine wouldn't let me fuck up the clothes. So I just fucked up myself. And I and I had a makeup artist give me a big black eye. And it's like me looking angry with a black eye. And like my assistant is reaching in with the light meter because they said, I have something photographic overtly in the shot kind of like to make it yeah, obvious yeah. so someone's leaning in with a light meter like taking a light reading and i'm looking angry with a black eye and they <laughs> loved it and it, it was the opener to the story and um and yeah and my mother-in-law loved it and she had it out on her coffee table for like two years 
No, that's awesome, man. So yeah, it's like you, you had a rep that was really fighting for your, your creative and pushing you as a creative and it wasn't just like trying to find the next, I mean, obviously you want to find the next job, but like they, they value your creative input and they're, 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 right. they're, they're, they're a partner in the process. And I think that the, I think that that viewpoint really was right because it's all about the long view. It's all about like, you know, whatever success I have comes from me always playing the long game and not trying to chase like, where's the market at now? Or what's, what's, what's getting hired for now? Mm-hmm. It's always about like, what, what do I do? Like, what, do, what do I do that happens to connect to the marketplace and then promote that? You know, like that, that it's more starting with me as an artist and then bringing that to the marketplace rather than trying to adjust who I am to meet the market. Because the market's going to change in three years, it'll be somewhere else. And now when we shift to that, like it's absurd. Yeah, exactly. And I guess a little more on the rep thing, because I think it is interesting. Yeah, please. That what was that conversation with Red Eye? Like, like how did that process go to the to, to the point where you decided to partner with them? Was it kind of something you, you talked to them for a long time? And like, how did you know that you wanted to actually partner and be on their roster? Well, I've known Marin before. Yeah. I've known Marin for a long time, yeah. and I didn't necessarily spend a lot of time with her or have a lot of conversations. But our connection was always very easy and um, and just like an easy connection and positive. And, you know, she's a fan of my work. And obviously that's huge because uh, for the very reason I was saying before that not so much because of ego, although that's nice, but because it having her in my corner is really valuable. You know, one of the first things she said to me when, because with my previous agents, I felt that after I left Julian, I was with two other agents and I felt some pressure from them either overtly or, or kind of subconsciously because their agencies are more overtly commercial mm-hmm. to kind of move more in that space. I think I was with Marge Casey and Associates. And I think I just sort of intuitively moved more towards like a high production slicker look, which was what they did. Yep. And I kind of like, it was almost like I was in that, I was in that kind of group. So I kind of intuitively moved in that direction. And over time, I kind of, I, I didn't like looking back now, like maybe I, I it wasn't the best thing for my work. Yeah. Like it, it just was, it just didn't may just made it feel a little more like in a way of being too finished didn't serve what I was going for and didn't really wasn't the, but my best work. And yeah. Cause there was some, one. Yeah. Cause there was one photo you did. I think it was an ad for, was it like Steven Tyler? I think you shot yeah. like, in front of a car and I remember it's super slick. And I was like, this doesn't feel like a Chris Buck picture. It was just way different than anything else. Like, but um, that was a commercial shoot where yeah, different, that was yeah. the look they wanted. So that yeah. was fine. Yeah. It's more like I was doing editorial shoots that had that feel too. Got and it. that was not good. Yeah. And I think that then the next agency I was with was um, apostrophe and they were le- they were less subtle about telling me like you sh- you know you'd get more work if you shot more lifestyle and uh, more lifestyle kind of feeling work and i just it just wasn't me and ultimately kind of led to my leaving and you know like they're a great agency they're very professional and yeah. super hard working and yeah. it it was never a bad thing being connected to them but i think that over time, they saw this is where the market's going, and this would serve you well if you want to work more. And I was like, "But that's not me." And so eventually, it caused us to part ways. Yeah. And and joining with Marin, one of the first things she said to me because I had like a kind of I kind of redid my website in preparation for looking for an agent because I wanted to kind of signal like I'm ready to be 
working hard and being, you know, I'm ready for what's out there. And so I kind of made like an overt portrait section and an overt lifestyle section. And one of the first things Mary said to me was, well, why do you have this prominent lifestyle section? Like, what is this about? This isn't where you're strong. You should be leaning hard into your unique portraiture. And I was like, but, but there's less work there. And she's like, but you don't need all the work. You just need the work that's for you. Yeah. And the more you, the more you amplify your voice, the more you'll work. Trust me. This is like in in a fractured, busy marketplace. The more unique you are, the more you'll work. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, this is what I need to hear. You know, like <laughs> this is like because in a way it just supported my whole narrative of like playing the long game, leaning into my narrative, even doing projects like Gentlemen's Club that like amplify a, like a kind of a corner of what of what, what I'm about that is that is not for everyone. And I think that saying like like amplifying the uniqueness of what I do rather than being a generalist. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a hard thing as a photographer. Like everyone has an opinion about your work and everyone has like, uh, has stuff they want to say, but it's like knowing like, like who's advice and input to take and then applying it to like how you want to move forward in your career, I guess. And it's something, you know, I struggle with too. Cause like you'll, you look at someone doing this and like, oh, should I do that? Should I do that? And it's like, no, nah, I guess do what you enjoy and you feel like it creatively works for you and this, just keep on going down that path, I guess. I mean, I, I do think you have to be aware of what's happening. And, you know, I think that especially as you're in a, if you're in a, a, a workspace, a career for a long time, you know, there will be big changes through your lifetime and career. career. And so you need to be open to what, you know, like, obviously I don't shoot film anymore. I shoot digital. Like it was a big change I had to make to adjust to, you know, a work process. Uh, you know, my leaning towards doing more directing is a big part of that too. So I, I think that you both have to be adaptable, but you also have to know, well, what is your core voice? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's the hard thing to parse. Like, you know, you know, should I be, maybe, maybe apostrophe was right. Maybe if I'd done more lifestyle, I would have worked more and then found my voice in that space. Yeah. But for me, it just didn't feel authentic. And so it just didn't work. But, but it's not to say they were wrong. It's just to say, I just had to decide for myself what path I was going to take. I think, you know, I think maybe I'm more willing to do that around technology, like, you know, video versus just stills or digital versus shooting film than I am around my voice. Yeah, that makes sense. No, definitely. Yeah, you're you're open to trying new like avenues of like, um, using your voice, be it still photos or video, or who knows down the line, could be CGI or I see all these sure. clients now. Now they want like I just had a client to speak to, like we want a moving portrait, like so I was shooting stills, and then like, hey, can you shoot like a basically a portrait but in video? And that's like a new thing I've seen more that's and cool. more of. So it's like, yeah, it's just you can still have your voice, but using like you said the different technologies to apply it, I guess. But anyways, well, I guess to wrap up, Chris, like. Obviously, everyone go check out the book. Um, I think you can get it pretty much. Well, you saw it on your website or is it this? It's uh, on my website. Yeah, but it's on it's in the usual booksellers, Amazon and yeah. Barnes and Noble and the like. And I guess to wrap up, like what, what are you excited about now photographically? Obviously, the book's done. Like what's kind of next for you, I guess? Well, you kind of touched upon something that I think is going to be a big part of how I shoot my portrait work, which is, you know, you mentioned um about the cause picture and Chuck Schumer. And I, 
weirdly, I'm kind of getting into doing tighter face portraits. I think it's because of digital that mm -hmm. I shoot medium format digital. And I think that because it's so kind of clean looking, I want to make my pictures dirtier. And I think there's something about doing a tight portrait that kind of has like the kind of showing the pores and like showing the, uh, the age of people and like the kind of how they're carrying their like trauma and stuff that I'm really into that. Cause I used to always be very much about the body and the body position. And, you know, if you look at the uneasy book, it's so much about like body, body connection and awkward body positions and poses and such. Yeah. I think I'm now much more into faces right. and in a way faces are kind of the most easy thing to do in portraiture because it's, that is what a portrait is. And yet there's something about doing those tight pictures that I think I do have something to say in that space that is not what most people do because in a way people are trying to flatter or whatever, but I've always been into the psychological portrait and doing the psychological through the face. I know it sounds weird to say, but like that's kind of my new, my new thing. Yeah, it is. It's probably more of a challenge because like when you're photographing a whole body, you can make them um, posing like unique like uh, poses and it's kind of sure. more awkward and it can definitely change the dynamic of how a picture feels. But when it's just the face, it's like you really have to like, I guess. Well, I think it's also more refined. It's more my refined approach to people, too, that I'm able to find a connection and have them connect to me in a way that is. I, I can get I can go deeper more quickly than I could have when I was younger maybe because it's a, a confidence that comes with age Definitely. or just just you know years of shooting that that I can kind of get into that space with them and, and get something truly intimate um, and like really zero in and get something that's like kind of intense in that kind of like close physical proximity awesome well I'm excited to see you Chris and uh, awesome to connect again. And uh, congrats on the book. And always a pleasure talking to you, man. Likewise. Great to see you. All right, cool. I'll let you go. So there you have it. That was the Chris Buck interview. Um, can't thank Chris enough for taking the time to come on the podcast. It was a real pleasure talking to him about his new book uh, titled Gentleman's Club, Partners of Exotic Dancers. Um, definitely go pick up a copy of this book. You can go to, I think, Chris Chris's website at chrisbuck.com as well as Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, uh, all those uh, book retailers, you can find it find it there, but highly recommend it. It's a really interesting book with just not photos, but um, really uh, in-depth and interesting interviews with the subject city photographs, so can't recommend it enough. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts um, on iTunes, uh, Spotify, YouTube. You can check us out on YouTube, the Photo Banter uh, page where the video will be up there. And uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed and thanks so much for listening.